welcome to Tosnua. And his name is Joe C. He said the God shite ain't for me. This Canadian rock star slash author needed some relief. Made worldwide news when he started Beyond Belief. She loves your book, but you're the worst Zoom bouncer according to Gen B. Thank you, Joe, for speaking. I think no more needs to be said. Uh, my name's Joe. Um, if I'm kicking it old school and I'm an alcoholic, or as the cool kids say, I have substance use disorder. A victim of substance use disorder. Gotta rock that victim, uh, victim moniker. Um, so just uh, trying to get a feel for the room. Uh, of course, I can go for five minutes or uh, you know, weekend retreat. And um, uh, so there's a lot of material to draw from. Just curious, how many people here are looking at ahead to their first or second like sober holiday season? And how many are just old farts? So, so there's a little bit of that. And then there's a, yeah, yeah. And then, yes. And then my, uh, my good friends, the uh, Kajidi old timers. Uh, I, I'm going to start with uh, what's going on for me right now. Because uh, often uh, I run out of time or forget all about it. Um, I, I do write, and um, I, I've developed in, in my later sobriety, I've developed an interest in uh, uh, history, the history of uh, AA, the history of the recovery movement. Uh, I, uh, I've earned a seat in more than one 12-step fellowship, so uh, I know AA, but uh, uh, I'm uh, not unfamiliar to adult children of alcoholics. Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, Al-Anon, Narcotics Anonymous. And there's other places I've gone just to support others, uh, Debtors Anonymous and Marijuana Anonymous, so on and so forth. And, and I love their literature. I go to Refuge Recovery. I go to uh, uh, Life Ring, you know, anywhere where uh, alcoholics and addicts are, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out. And uh, I've, I've earned my seat there. Um, there may be no dues or fees, but uh, we do pay a price to, uh, you know, the, the, the cost of membership is dear for sure. And, uh, and I qualify. Um, so uh, when I was new in recovery, uh, because I was so young, I, I, was, I had little interest in regaling past glories of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, canonizing the founders for what they had done. I was more concerned about looking to the future. What could we do to make AA better or more palatable for the, um, the sufferers still to come? And, um, you know, and, and because I was sort of drawn to sort of like the young people's community in Montreal where I got sober, uh, you know, that's what we were talking about. Um, we weren't um, uh, sort of reading old literature from the past. We were, um, some did, of course, but uh, we were thinking, you know, this is great. There's a, a young people's presence, but where's everybody else? What can we do to make uh, this, you know, like 
AA is never going to be where the cool kids hang out. You know, that's just a, a fact, right? You know, any one of us, if we could, uh, if we could still kick it at being the life of the party, shits and giggles, uh, drinks and sex and rock and roll, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd still be doing that, right? You know, like I, I sure, I love being sober and there, I, and in today's world, there's never a problem that's so bad that a drink wouldn't make worse. And, and nothing I enjoy so much that, you know, I need a little something extra just to get the full experience. So, so I've learned to live a, a meaningful sober life, but I, uh, I didn't choose it. I, I didn't say that's what I want to be when I grow up, an AA member. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be famous. <laughs> uh, I had uh, I, I had what I thought were more lofty uh, lofty goals, but so I, I I remember in service meetings there'd always be people from archives, and I would joke that there's no future in archives, you know, and I would sort of uh, you know look down on uh, or, or I had no patience for you know, um, you know, reading AA comes of age or any of that stuff. But if you care about the future and you are ignorant to your past, uh, well, uh, you have a, you're going to have flawed mechanisms. It's important to learn. And, and honestly, I didn't start getting a real interest in AA until it affected me personally until my group was kicked out of Toronto intergroups meeting list for not being AA. And I said, what do you mean not being AA, right? You can't tell us we're not AA. If we want your opinion, we'll give it to you. Your intergroup, we're the AA meeting. You work for us, right? And, uh, but not everybody in Toronto saw it that way. And I really uh, went to school about uh, wanting to know more. I mean, it didn't start there. When I was sober uh, 10 years and I was living in Toronto by then, I lived in Calgary, Alberta for a while, moved to Toronto. And uh, uh, one of my sort of running mates, a friend in sobriety, bought me um, uh, Pass It On. It had just come out. It was a uh, history uh, written by Mel B about AA and... Um, um, it was a very thoughtful gift. All the group members signed it. I still have it. Um, you know, it's the first edition. I'm, I'm happy to have it. And, and I started reading about AA history and, and uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty adventurous past for sure. And um, so, I, yeah, I, I started getting interested in this and that. And um, uh, it, paid, it def definitely paid dif dividends. But right now, what I'm kind of on about is the sort of history of sort of fundamentalism in AA and the free thinkers movement. And they seem to be like a yin and a yang. They seem to be, uh, um, you can't have one without the other. The more of one creates more of the other. And, and um, this sort of polarization, uh, AA didn't create it. We're just a microcosm of what's going on outside. But um, uh, like I, I, I've gone back listening to old tapes that I used to listen to when I was new, just to see if I was kidding myself about the good old days. We, we tend to sort of glorify, you know, uh, you know, our youth and our past. 
a little bit, uh, but I, I wanted to hear from uh, my peers and those who came before me uh, what their early sobriety was like. Because if you hang around a lot of Toronto meetings, you would be sure the first hundred members uh, practiced exactly the same process for getting sober. Uh, they all did that together and then they taught it to the next hundred and they taught it to the next hundred and so on and so forth. And she told someone and she told someone and, and on and on it went. And, um, and, and the, the process they're talking about, uh, you know, I'll listen to, I'll go, okay, I could see how that works. Okay, that makes sense to me. That's logical. But that's not my story. That's not how it worked for me. So is there a place for me in AA? And I started wondering uh, in AA whether, you know, this sort of big book fundamentalism, which is just a style and it, and it, and I'm not, I'm not saying free thinkers are so much more woke and uh, fundamentalists are, you know, uh, killing AA. They're, they're getting people sober and, and a lot of people sober and, and they are a living example of the fact that what they're doing is working, uh, but it's not the only way. And and I I I was um, encouraged to hear that what I was saying about the past I wasn't making up. It wasn't a revisionist history. I often talk about how uh, you know I didn't go to my answer for my sponsor for answers, and he didn't go to the book for authority. Uh, that wasn't my experience. He always put it back at me, right? He, he, he answered my questions with questions. Uh, he made, you know, I found it frustrating. Uh, I just wanted a nice concrete answer uh, to an abstract problem and he wouldn't give it to me. And, um, uh, you know, because it was my uh, recovery he was concerned about, not me modeling his recovery. And uh, to do that, I was going to have to do it my own way. And, um, uh, and, but I started second guessing myself. I thought, well, was everybody else uh, reading the book, uh, the first 164 days, pages, just like the founders did, yada, yada, yada. And I found out um, they weren't. You listen to early Clancy stories, and he read the big book, but uh, it didn't get him sober. He was uh, living in a car and drinking and he, he read the book, but it, no white light experience. It wasn't until he got engaged with AA that he got sober. And, and I, I relate to that. I had, it was the people in AA, not a, um, any sort of supernatural power, not any sort of uh, process. It was your example that got me sober. I just uh, listened to uh, one of these old uh, recordings by someone named Tommy, and she got sober in 1960. She was giving a talk in 2008 in Nashville. Uh, so she's sober since 1960. So she's, you know, the era of Bill Wilson. And uh, she spent a lot of time actually with Ebby in his last days, uh, convalescing him. He died sober. And um, uh, he spent some time with, she spent some time with the Wilsons. And uh, she didn't have a sponsor until she was a year sober. And uh, she started working the steps because, you know, her, you know, sobriety didn't solve her problems. And I relate to that too. It, for me, sobriety exposed my problems. 
uh, because I was treating my problems with my addiction. And uh, so being sober, you know, for some people, you know, their job gets better, their relationships get better, their health gets better. They got the white eyes, the white teeth, the coin in the pocket. They are good, right? They, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, that's their sobriety. Not me. I just, I was full of doubt. I was panicky. I was, I just didn't know which way was up. I, I just, you know, I was, I was barely hanging on, I, I felt, and, and that's why I started looking to the steps for answers. And, um, and, and I had issues with the, the language and, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I re remember sharing recently my, I, I was challenging my sponsor in some of the language. Ah, it could have been the word powerless. Who knows what I was fighting over? Insanity. I'm not insane. What, 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 you have to be insane to be in AA, or it could be uh, God. It could have been any of those things. And and uh, I remember him saying, uh, well, genius, if you're the wordsmith, what's a better word? Change the word. The word won't mind. What you going to do, right? So he, he would always put it back on me. And, uh, and to this day, I encourage anybody, if they're going to work the steps, and I, I know plenty of great examples of sobriety in AA, long-term sobriety, people who give to the community, people who give back to AA, uh, who either didn't work the steps or didn't finish the steps, but, um, uh, but, but I, I did. They are definitely part of my story. And, and this, this story that Tommy told uh, she, I learned something new about uh, our, one of our founders, Bill Wilson, and uh, she was talking about going to visit him, and uh, like he died of emphysema, and uh, our other sort of co-founder died of cancer too, right? I mean, uh, they died of, uh, um, you know, manageable, preventable illnesses that are, you know, based on addiction. Both of them were heavy smokers, right? But but Bill Wilson actually quit smoking. She told the story of uh, driving up to their Stepping Stones place and uh, uh, Bill ran out in the middle of the winter in his t-shirt just to greet them and said, well, what are you doing out here? You know, he goes, I quit smoking uh, I, I, uh, for a year now. I should have done it 10 years ago. And I didn't know that. I thought, no, how about that? And then she also told the story of how a bunch of people were gathering in the kitchen and there was one guest, a woman who was staying with the Wilsons. And as everyone sort of gathered in the kitchen, she was, she was depressed. She went into the living room and just sort of lay down on the couch. And uh, Bill excused himself and went and talked to her. And, and um, yeah, it just, it was really moving. You know, like we all know he loved the limelight and uh, he could sure milk a story and all that sort of thing. But her experience of him was, uh, you know, in a minute, he would rather just spend uh, time with one suffering alcoholic. And um, yeah, that's, that's quite a legacy. And um, yeah, so uh, uh, the, the uh, guy who wrote uh, Physician Heal Thyself, um, it's been in the big book since the second edition. He was like a young buck uh, around 1953 when he got sober. He wrote another book 
1989 uh, with the same title, Physician Heal Thyself, 35 Years of Adventures in Sobriety by an AA Old Timer. He was a San Francisco doctor. And, uh, and, and this is a lot more story than his first, you know, uh, you know, 10 months of sobriety. And it's really interesting. He talks about the four eyes going through his, his life in sobriety. And we're, again, we're not talking 35 days or weeks, but 35 years. Uh, the infatuation stage, the irritability stage, the inventiveness stage, and the insight stage. And I relate to this. Um, you know, I, I resisted AA and then, uh, you know, once I got engaged in AA, you know, I thought, you know, every, you know, people who weren't in AA just didn't get it, right? You know, <laughs> like, like we were somehow the in crowd. I, I was quite a, a fan. And then uh, there was this irritability. I just didn't like the way you know, people were running the meeting I belonged to. And, you know, I just, you know, they should do this, they should do that. Why is the service structure so slow and blah, blah, blah. And then the inventiveness stage, we've all started a meeting. That's part of uh, the inventive stage, right? You know, the resentment in the coffee pot, nothing bad about that, right? It, you know, I know people who got sober to spite somebody else. Uh, doing it their way and not listening to their old sponsor. If that's going to keep you sober, that's fine. You're going to get inventive. And then insight comes, uh, I guess, in time. And, um, you know, a lot of people are studying us, studying AA. And AA has proven by academics to be as effective or better than any other sort of uh, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational enhancement therapy, a lot of the things you go to a clinic for and get clinical care, they're all good. Probably a combination of them is even better, but um, AA holds up against the newer peer-to-peer uh, -peer groups. Um, other people have found things that work just as well. No one's found anything according to researchers that is particularly better. And um, I, I'm just going to talk about my walking through AA by something that came out, um, a book by a guy named uh, David Best. Uh, he wrote a book in 2009 called Pathways to Recovery and Assistance, The Role of the Social Contagion of Hope. Because uh, one of the things they're trying to find out is what's the secret sauce, right? People who join AA have better outcome rates than people who don't, or some other mutual aid group. Uh, but is it, is it God? Is it uh, sponsorship? Is it working the steps? Uh, is it service in AA? So they're, they're trying to find out what it is. And in, in this book I've recently read, they talk about uh, the, the model of the sort of five points of people who succeed, who find sustainable long-term recovery, and it's called CHIME. It's, it involves uh, a sense of community, hope, identity, meaning, and empowerment. And, and that's my story of recovery. You know, um, there is nothing more isolating than addiction, right? No matter how much I was at one time life of the party, good time Charlie, uh, you know, I got along with people. 
the more I got into my addiction, the more isolated I got, the more I hid my behavior from others, the more alone I became, the more I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. Everyone felt more, looked like they were more comfortable than I felt inside. I just, and then I came to AA and, and, I, and it's me and them, and I, I didn't feel us and any of that sort of thing. I had no sense of uh, community, but the community sort of embraced me and brought me in. And what are you doing tomorrow, Joe? Oh, I, I don't know. Want to go to a meeting? Oh, okay. And uh, so I'd go to another meeting. And what meetings did I go to? Whatever one that car was driving to, right? Like I, I wasn't sort of in control of my own destiny. I just sort of followed along. And, um, and I developed hope. And the hope came from the community because I, um, you know, I, I tried AA before. I didn't get sober the first time I tried it. I was 14 years old when I came to my first AA meeting. And when I say came, I didn't think I better go to AA. I was going to AA to get somebody else off my back. I was, uh, it wasn't my idea. It was just, okay, I'll go all right already. And, um, you know, I could see why AA worked. I could see it was great. It was helping these old farts, but I, I just didn't relate. I, 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 I didn't see it as working for me. And I did not think I was a life worth saving. And then um, I, when I started coming around to AA with Ernest, I was bringing my cousin who uh, um, was from Toronto. I lived in Montreal. She was coming from Scarborough, Ontario, a suburb of, and she'd been in group homes. Uh, she was an intravenous drug users. She was in the sex trade. She was 16. She was like in problems with the law. She, the story I heard was she wanted to get clean and sober and straighten up her life. And, uh, and I love my cousin Elaine. Like I hardly saw her, but I, you know, we were a month and uh, a day apart in age and um, uh, I was gonna help her and I took her to meetings. How complicated could that be? I'll be, I'll take her to meetings. I'll, I'll show her around, I'll show her the ropes. And uh, I joined a group to be an example to her. I, I got, the hope came from the experience of others because I started going from AA could never work for me to AA works for them. Maybe I'm not so different to wait a minute. These people are actually having more meaningful lives, more peak experiences in their sobriety than they did when they were drinking. Uh, what is, what's, what's their secret? So I got intrigued and then identity, you know, using drugs was part of my identity. I was part of the um, niche crowd. I was part of the rebels. I was part of the sort of, uh, you know, not going along. I, it was my rugged individualism. And so um, it was a very, it was like a morning to actually have to give it up because I didn't really know what my identity was, what made me cool. I, I didn't know. And, and, and the experience of being with other people in recovery uh, statistically, they say that someone who uh, is an uh, addict, substance use, this use disorder sufferer, goes through treatment, goes back into the community, 
if they know at least one other person in recovery, they have a 27% better chance of uh, never drinking again or, or whatever their drug of choice is uh, than if they don't know anybody. Like if they go back to a partner who uses, uh, back to the crack house, back to a working environment where uh, drinking is uh, sort of glorified or certainly enabled, uh, they're going to have a harder time than someone who knows just one person in recovery. So, so I started developing an identity as someone in recovery, uh, like, like it wasn't an embarrassment, it wasn't a failure, it wasn't a, a lacking, I can't that, it was a, I'm this. This identity of recovery just became just sort of part of me. And, and, and it didn't happen, boom, someone told me this and then I got it, right? It was a very gradual thing. And I found meaning in light in, in AA and I found meaning outside of AA too. And, uh, and then the, the, the last of that sort of chime thing is an empowerment. And, um, uh, you know, it, addiction is very crippling to any of us. And, uh, and the empowerment comes from, you know, the, the, the strength of two. I have a good friend who uh, uh, died of cancer, uh, but died sober. He was in four different treatment centers, two of them 12-step, two of them non-12-step. And he was his own, the only person that, you know, sort of hung with him through all of it. His brother wasn't even returning his calls and he was in this hospital bed. Uh, and he just said to himself, I don't want to die a drunk. And uh, like he was definitely a hardcore atheist. He had a hard time with AA, but uh, he, he developed what he called a higher purpose. He didn't want to die a drunk. He gave up a high paying um, uh, sales job. He did very well for himself uh, and to become a drug and alcohol counselor. And, and uh, he was a great contributor to our group and uh, one of the founding members of Beyond Belief in Toronto, Wayne was his name. And uh, he used to always, never got this higher power stuff, but he talked about his higher purpose. First, it was he didn't want to die a drunk. And then it was the joy he found, the, the sort of uh, one plus one equals more than two, right? Two uh, alcoholics together. There's something else going on there that's more than just two individuals going it alone. And uh, he really sort of tapped into that and, and I died a happy man for sure. Um, and, uh, and that kind of empowerment it just it is, it, it's like the force, I, I suppose, in a way. It, it, I, um, there is nothing in life that I'm afraid of that uh, I would think, oh, uh, I would do that, but only if I could drink. Like I'll get up on stage and play guitar, which you know, I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert, but I'll I'll do it with other people, right? I you know, and I'll do it sober, and I'll I'll talk in front of a, a room full of some strangers, some not, you know, like like there's nothing uh, that uh, I need. I, I can't find my own internal empowerment for, and and that came from Alcoholics Anonymous. Was it from working the steps? It probably helped. Was it from getting active in service and helping other alcoholics? Yeah, that probably helped. Was it from getting a job and developing a sense of mastery at something outside of AA and 
being a contributor to my household and uh, you know, um, you, you know, taking good care of myself physically, that helped too, right? That I don't think there is a secret sauce, but I'm, but I'm definitely sure that this chime idea, there's something to it. Community, hope, identity, meaning, and empowerment are the things that sort of get me through. And it's, it's way easier, I think, to sort of hold on to that than go out there and uh, be stuck in, the, you know, like, a, you know, faced with, a, you go to see someone and they've got a drink on the table, would you like one, right? Ah, you know, if you're not used to that environment when you are uh, been sort of removed from that, uh, what, what step is this? Um, let me think, uh, you know, can I call a sponsor? Like, like just, you know, it, it's five ideas, right? I've got a recovery community. What would they say, right? Uh, I, other people have gotten through this, right? I, I am a sober person living in long-term recovery and uh, I don't need that. And, uh, and that kind of just creates that sort of empowerment to get through. Um, I got sober in November, which uh, will tell you I didn't have a plan, right? Anyone who gets sober right before like all the holidays start wasn't planning on still being sober New Year's Eve, right? Like I was just, you know, it, you know, sort of a day at a time kind of, you know, running by the seat of my pants because, uh, and then, so, so I wasn't thinking, okay, now's a good time to get sober, but then I was sober a while and starting to panic right? Uh, like the December, what, what's the date today? It's the 12th, right? You know, my first year would have been uh, New Year's, right? Like you do that sober? Yeah. Mm -hmm. what, 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 do you, what do you do? Uh, well, this or that. Uh, Joe, you seem worried. Yeah, well, New Year's, like I've never gone through New Year's sober. Well, let's see if you get through December 12th, Joe, <laughs> and we'll worry about December 13th tomorrow, right? Let's not worry about New Year's just yet, right? <laughs> you know? And uh, so, you know, I, I was encouraged to just sort of keep it a day at a time, and, and it pays great dividends now. I do COVID one day at a time. I, I, I'm trained in sort of one day at a time, uh, you know, one breath at a time kind of thinking, and uh, it's sort of yeah, it, it has really become a way of life, but I didn't invent it. I didn't find it. It wasn't taught to me. Um, it was a, a combination of, of all of those things. It was, uh, um, I sort of modeled myself after others. And then I said, I, I, it's like trying on clothes, right? You know, like you, you don't, not everyone wears the same thing. Not everything fits the same. So you try different things on. You go, oh, this is good, but I want something that's too restrictive, and you try something else. And uh, AA has to be that way. Find your own AA. Um, and uh, and um, because it's the only AA that's going to work for me is my AA, right? Um, Patrick's AA isn't going to work for me. Jeb's AA isn't going to work for me. Karen's or Zanner's AA isn't going to work for me when the chips are down and I'm sort of faced with that dilemma. I, I'm going to need my AA. And let's see, we started at one, we're at 139. The, the only other thing I'll say is, um, is recovery isn't, um, you know, uh, sort of socio, socio economic, upwardly mobile, 
everything's going to get better experience for everybody. If you think that's how AA goes, that's because you listen to a 10-minute talk and it sounded pretty amazing. It's way better than it was then. But uh, I have had uh, grief and loss, and I've had to return to other 12-step fellowships because of other uh, addictive problems I've had, and I felt like a failure. At, at 20 years sober, I was planning my 20 years sober speech at about one year sober. I thought, I'll be 36, 20 years sober, I'll be president of AA by then, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, I, like, I thought that was really going to be something, right? But at 20 years sober, I was, um, um, I, I was estranged from my daughter who'd been abducted by her mother. I was in a custody battle with my son's mother. I had like two boy meets girl on AA campus romances. And, you know, it just like, like everyone's an example in AA, but at 20 years sober, I was a bad example. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, it just, uh, you know, looking back, all of that stuff was sort of age appropriate stuff, the, the misadventures of youth and, and yada, yada, yada. But, but I, the space I was in at 20 years sober was I felt at the emotionally lowest I would ever been. I was now HIV positive. Uh, you know, I didn't know where my daughter was. I was trying to make the best for my son and uh, sort of solve this problem and resolve this matter with my daughter. I, I just, um, you know, I, I just, I was very, I was isolating. I was feeling very lonely and um, uh, not sorry for myself, but, but I, I didn't want to be paraded up in the front as some power of example, right? You know, I just did not want to be Mr. AA. I, people, when are you going to have your medallion, Joe? And I just put off, I never had it. I never had my 20-year medallion, although I planned it for 19 years. And, um, you know, that, and that is just my sobriety. If we live long enough, we are going to face loss like we've never known before. That's just part of life. And uh, I see some people nodding, and, and I know you know grief, and I know you know loss. And, and some of you I've been through that with. And some of us have had to start over again. And, and it isn't like we lose everything we earned. And it isn't, doesn't delegitimize the sobriety we once had if we're uh, starting again, uh, be it, you know, with alcohol or, or some other, uh, you know, sort of addictive behavior. It's just part of the seeking uh, 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 process. We're not finders, we're seekers, and I'm still seeking. And in my sobriety, uh, I will borrow a line from Ernie Kurtz, which he said, uh, we must thirst, it's who we are, but where are we gonna direct that thirst? And I've learned to find more creative and more constructive ways to direct my thirst. I, I can't uh, expel it from me. I can't be content with life. I'm not the kind of guy that's just going to be, uh, you know, uh, retiring on a beach, um, playing golf and uh, uh, checking my uh, finance, my financial account, right? Like I've got to, I've got to be, I, I go towards the fire. I mean, that's just who I am. That's just how I live. It's just, 
Um, you know, the idea of uh, peace and happiness uh, just sounds like a horror movie to me. And, uh, I, you know, like I wish I was simpler, you know, at times, but I'm not. And, and I, I've learned to just sort of figure out who I am do as good a job as I can at being who I am. Stop with this perfectionistic, I've got to do it better, I've got to do it right, you know. Um, uh, you know, and just, you know, sort of uh, develop a, um, a meaningful relationship with reality, with reason, with seeing things as they are to the best I can. I'm in a long-term relationship with someone that I don't see them how they are. I see them how I am, right? Uh, I have a sponsor and I know him and he knows me better than anybody. But, but I, I, I don't, you know, like we, we can only see so far into uh, the soul of another. And, uh, you know, that's just one of our limits, right? You know, and I live within those limits. I'm not trying to transcend the human experience with my sobriety. I'm just trying to you know, uh, you know, have the right to play the game, right? I just want a piece on the board. I just want to be in, in the game and uh, um, see how it goes. And uh, that's, uh, that's more than enough. Thank you for your patience. <laughs>